The Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The Coast is Calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California Coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. And the Pace Line is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now on to the show. Hello, Paceliners. Michael Hutton here. It is the 4th of July. Welcome to my block party. That, my friends, is my neighbor, Ed. And every 4th of July, he likes to do this. Now, this is the night before I'm supposed to record the podcast. Episode 74, I believe it is. So, if I sound a little groggy during episode 74, like I haven't had enough sleep, you can blame Ed. Ed's a good guy. I actually like him, but he's a little loud on the 4th. Enjoy the show, and happy 4th of July. Baseline, the podcast on two wheels, episode number 74, with Patrick, Hottie, Fatty. Honest to goodness, guys, it is a pretty exciting time to be talking about bikes. We're going to talk this episode about having bikes stolen. We're going to talk about maybe having your participation in the Tour de France stolen. Man, a lot of negativity. But how are you guys doing? Good. Good. I mean, it's summertime. Come on. It's early July. <laughs> I'm you know? positive. Thumbs up. Thumbs up, Hottie. <laughs> yeah. And Hottie and I are going to be seeing each other in just a couple of days. Hottie and I are going to be racing in the Crusher in the Tusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty excited for this one, hoping for a personal best. Uh, just throwing that out there, letting, uh, you know, drawing a line in the might guess my own personal sand because I don't care who I beat. I just want to finish in under five hours and 15 minutes. How about you, Hottie? How are you hoping to do in the crusher? You're, you're sh- oh, six hours I'd be happy with. I'll, I'll be fine. Yeah, I'm bringing a mountain bike. Uh, I'm bringing my microphone and my, and my camera. That's that's my attitude towards you. <laughs> you know, oh. so. <laughs> going to interview no people fatty, out on the trail? I, I am I am wandering into this thing. Uh, I have blindly. I have no idea what to expect. I know there are two long climbs. There are two very very long climbs. Um, it's going to be a warm day, like uh, more than a hundred degrees. So uh, don't just bring your microphone and a camera. You might want to go ahead and you know bring a camel back full of water too. Mm, okay. <laughs> oh, the Crusher is such a good race. Put on by Burke Swindlehurst. That guy really knows how to put a show on. It is a lot of fun. Uh, make sure that you are recording the beginning of uh, the race, Hottie. Uh, that's something that I think our listeners are going to enjoy hearing. It's There's definitely a WrestleMania feel to it. But let's get on to a different race. Let's talk about what everyone else has been talking about and that you can't help but talk about if you watch the Tour de France. That is, what happened to Peter Sagan, or what Peter Sagan did to Cavendish, or however else you want to put it. Was <laughs> he unfairly kicked out of the Tour de France? Well, in short, yes. I mean, I've looked at that video from every possible angle that I can find. I've looked up feeds. I've gone Google deep on this. <laughs> and... Uh, And this in a year where I was like, you know, I'm really not psyched for the tour the way I used to be. I mean, it used to be we'd get to the end of June and I would have the DTs waiting for the tour to start. I couldn't flip and wait. And now just pro cycling is in such a state of disarray. So without good leadership, I mean, Sky, 
oh, don't even get me started. Okay, let's stop me now. Um, but no, I've looked at every possible video angle on this. And I mean, I've done my share of time in close quarters and crazy sprints. I was never much of a sprinter. And so it wasn't long in my racing career before I decided, you know, I'd rather lead other guys out than be a part of this. And looking at that, uh, Cav went after a hole. He dove for the barriers, went after a hole that by the time he was there was gone. And by the time Sagan's elbow flicks, he's already in mid-fall. He has already clipped out his right foot from the pedal uh, in preparation for that fall. And, you know, I think that Sagan's elbow is either uh, an effort to create some space between him and a falling rider, or it's just that natural flick of trying to get someone off of them because clearly... Cavendish had tried to move Sagan over with his head to get by him. Um, and so, I mean, it was a, it was a messy sprint. Guys were all over the place. Nobody was holding a solid line except maybe Greipel. Um, and so to try to say, oh, well, Sagan's sprint was irregular, I think is ignoring, you know, 65% of what was going on out there. Everybody was starting around. And so to eliminate Sagan for Cavendish's fall, I don't know. That's like pinning all of Watergate on Ehrlichman. Really? <laughs> One guy? You know? Is Sagan going to become a new a new verb? Yes. Meaning to be unfairly relegated? Oh, I was totally Saganned. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Heard it here first. You're absolutely Hot- right about that. Hottie, have you ever been Saganned? I, have I ever been Sagan? Oh, sort of. Um, <laughs> not, Let's hear is, it. Sort I of? want to hear the story. Sort yeah. of. Um, well, first of all, right, regarding Peter's um, removal from the Tour de France, you know, I tend to agree with Patrick. It seems extreme. Um, yeah. But, you know, maybe the UCI has decided they're going to make an example out of someone and tell and send a message. This might be a message sentence. More than anything else. Now, this is a pretty bold and big way to do it. But, um, you know, maybe they've said, look, we've had just about enough of all the argy-bargy, as they like to say, coming to the line during these sprints. (laughs) And we're going to put a stop to it. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to kick out the man in the rainbow jersey. That everyone wants to see. (laughs) Yeah, everyone wants to see. Well, you know, I mean, okay, Michael... that's a, a a fair conclusion or inference to draw, but what are they going to actually change by kicking him out? I mean, sprints have been crazy since before I was born. You know, what kicking Sagan out, I mean, what about all the crashes that Cav has caused in his yeah. career? What about that? I mean, what, does somebody really think that things are going to calm down now? Well... That's the only conclusion that I could come up with, that they're trying to send a message uh, with this DQ from the from the Tour de France. Because if you look at the tape uh, enough times, you'll kind of conclude that there was a man trying to find a lane that simply wasn't there. And the man who was kicked out, Peter Sagan, was simply reacting to what he felt coming up his right side. And sprinters yeah. ride with their elbows out, for God's sakes. I mean, it just happens. So to say that Sagan elbowed Cavendish to the ground... And therefore, should be kicked out of the race seems extreme. And the only thing I could come up with at the end was they're trying to send a message about about sprinting and about the safety of riders uh, as they come to the line. Have I you been? You know, Sagan? your problem is huh? you're using logic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I still want to hear about the the time you got Sagan. Yeah, I, this, this is Sagan, but I I was um, in a great race called Copperopolis, which Patrick is well aware Ooh. of a great uh, rough and tumble uh, road race. Uh, where I broke away solo and on the last lap and was caught with uh, about 15 meters to go. And oh. as I came across the line, I dropped an F-bomb. <laughs> now, a lot of people drop F-bombs in races. Sure. It happens all the time, the cussing that goes on. The problem is I did it at the finish line in front of the guys in the blue shirts. God and everybody. USA Cycling. <laughs> was there to hear it, of course. And so were some families who had gathered for the race. 
Not good. Uh, when I went to check the results, uh, I'd been relegated to the back. So wow. not quite Sagand, but I mean, it was a one-day race, so ostensibly Sagand. <laughs> now, I was able, un- unlike Peter, I was able to appeal and get reinstated. I went and told the race officials what had happened, that I'd raced hard all day and raced smart and attacked smart and gotten away and then had it foiled at the end by a guy who was able to bridge up and, and nip me at the line. And it was just pure frustration. And because I went to them and admitted wrongdoing and admitted I'd broken the rule. And there is a rule, by the way. It's a sportsmanship rule, and that's the rule I broke. I broke the sportsmanship rule where you're, you're not supposed to cuss. Um, and I admitted what I did. They went ahead and reinstated my spot and gave me second place back. So, Oh, that's cool. That's well, Good that's for fun. you. That's you know? how I handled it. Sagan, okay, so sort of. <laughs> I I personally have never been relegated. I I, the, I can think of one time when I probably should have, and in <laughs> plenty of uh, uh, city limit or city sign uh, races, uh, I am such a terrible sprinter that I've finally self acknowledged that and just don't participate because I am in mortal fear of. Uh, of causing uh, those kinds of pileups. I'm the guy you don't want in a group sprint because I am that bad, <laughs> but I at least understand that and just sort of quietly drop off the back and I know my place. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I am, uh, I am permanently a non-participant. I'm permanent last place sweeper for all sprints. Let's keep name dropping around the tour de France guys. Uh, here's a name you, you don't hear very often, right? Lance Armstrong. <laughs> oh. oh, he's back. He is. He is uh, giving daily commentary. Hang on, guys. Uh, I got to go get my antacid. <laughs> <laughs> well, why you do that? So, uh, of course, Lance Armstrong has a podcast, and I think Hottie and I agree because we both listen. I know that Patrick doesn't uh, to the forward, which is not about cycling. But uh, Armstrong is doing a podcast called Stages. And I don't know if it's going to be just about uh, just uh, live for the length of the tour, but he's doing a daily analysis wrap up of the Tour de France. Uh, and he is doing a daily um, blog for Outside Online, you know, the online component of Outside Magazine. Why suddenly is he weighing in or wading back into tour talk? And what do you think of it, Hadi? Well, I often compare Lance's approach, his public approach, to that of uh, Barry Bonds. It's it's really <laughs> similar in my mind, at least. He has tr- he is trying to as best he can restore s- part of his reputation or repair, do some type of repair job on his reputation. So maybe down the line he can be accepted back into the community of cycling, the community at large. Barry Bonds has done some of the same things. He laid low for a while. He was quiet, uh, and he has slowly tried to make a comeback. He, he took a small job with the San Francisco Giants as a hitting coach. Actually, first he went to the Miami Marlins. He's had a low-key role with them, got with younger players. Um, now Bonds has moved on back to his home club, the San Francisco Giants, because what Bonds has at, at stake is potentially getting to the Hall of Fame. So he needs to make sure that – you know, his public persona is somehow restored. The Giants have started to embrace him a little bit publicly. He's starting to be accepted in the San Francisco Bay Area again, uh, even though there was a lot of garbage that followed him around as well. So I kind of see Lance kind of doing the same thing. He is trying to offer something, his knowledge, his analysis, his perspective, in hopes that people will begin to accept him and maybe he can begin to erase that that tarnished image he has that's still hanging out there. So I'm sure a lot of it is tactical. Um, I, I you guys know as well as anybody, it can't be financial because these things don't make a hell of a lot of money. I don't. I'm not hearing any <laughs> sponsors, any large ones on his podcast. So no. I mean, the best I can deduce is again, this is him just trying to trying to repair things and trying to smooth things over and and put himself back out there again. Yeah, but yeah. there's there's no way he's doing that blog for outside for free. And the problem I have with outside for this is that it's a pretty cynical audience grab. They know that people are going to pay attention to him because he's Lance. 
And so they hired him as opposed to someone who, uh, you know, has been doing race analysis uh, for a fair chunk of their career. So I, you know, I, I object for that reason. I'd like to see one of my friends employed doing this sort of thing. And, you know, again, I just, I think it's a, a fairly cynical move on outsides part to do that. And there's no way, no way he's doing it for free. They've got mm. money to pay. Yeah. But the podcast, I think is what Hottie was talking yeah. about in terms of, uh, w- what was going on for free, not the outside, um, not the outside blog. That's, you know, so cynicism aside, and I, I think it's, it, it might be worth revisiting that, uh, Patrick, when I texted out to you two guys saying, Hey, have you, have you been following this blog? Have you been following this podcast? Um, Patrick, you responded with some, uh, in, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to read in, <laughs> in, uh, text messages, but between the lines, I would say with thinly, Veiled, if veiled at all, outrage, right? Oh, no, 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 not, not outrage. But, you know, hmm? I, I'm, I'm emphatically not an audience member. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'd say. Um, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to read. He's had his day. He, he didn't do enough to really start the process of rehabilitating his image. The, the fact that he still is going after Betsy Andreu, who, you know, stood up for principles that theoretically all of us subscribe to. I I have a big problem with that. Um, I think he's doing, you know, he's doing all the little things that are sort of easy to rehabilitate his image. He's doing all the stuff that's not painful to do. And, you know, I I don't know. Ever since the Oprah interview, um, I've just kind of been out. I was willing for a long time to engage him and, you know, to see where his mea culpa was going to lead. But I'm, you know, I I think it's all still pretty self-serving with him. And for that reason, I'm just not going to be part of this party train. Hmm. Fair enough. And I think that you are probably in a pretty large subset of potential cycling uh, listeners who would who would agree with you on that. I will say that on the merits that it's a pretty interesting podcast. I mean, he is a guy who has uh, a lot of insider knowledge that is still relevant in spite of the fact that most of his knowledge of the cyclists themselves is pretty out of date. Not as out of date as, say, Pollen fills, but <laughs> but still a little bit out of date. Um, I, I will say that I was very interested in what his take on uh, Sagan being relegated, or re- I should say, ex- expelled from this racing of the Tour de France would be. And it the podcast is actually turns out to be pretty interesting because he finds out about the expulsion as he is recording and so you know they he goes from being very animated about it uh and say and telling his his story to essentially saying well that's it he's been expelled let's move on to the next thing which is sort of a real you know a true racers uh experienced racers perspective he's like oh yeah they might appeal but nothing's going to happen once once the call had been made and it happened, you know, as he was recording, he was done talking about it. And he was like, well, that's it. It's over, guys. And he, he kind of wanted to move on to the next topic. So um, I understand not being uh, in, uh, the anti-Lance thing. And as someone who is blocked by Lance, you know, it's it, and after being one of the most publicly pro-Lance guys for a very, very long time, you know, there's, you know, I, I could have a personal stake in this and say, ah, but uh, yeah. If we ever transcribe this, that's R with four R's. But um, but the fact is, you know, if it were a different voice and it were someone else, you know, if it were a fan uh, or a an ex-pro, you know, say Phil Guyman, uh, who was doing the exact same podcast, you'd probably find it pretty interesting. It's, I mean, it's, it's a voice with experience who is talking about the tour. So um, I, I, I guess fi- my final word uh, make your decision about whether you want to listen uh, on, you know, based on whether you can put up with Lance. And then if you can, 
uh, you'll find uh, there's some pretty interesting insights in the in the uh, in Stages podcast. So there we go. Let's let's name drop one more time, and this time it, it's it's going to be all me, guys. Uh, Jonathan oh, thank God. Waters. I know, I know. <laughs> if we, uh, but this came. It, it, there was actually a, a comment saying, "Hey, I haven't heard about how Fatty's training." Uh, with Jonathan Vodders as coach has been going on lately. And I had sort of trimmed back on that because I was worried that I was just doing too much. But I think this is very interesting. And if uh, I have ever before been a fan of Jonathan Vodders, I'm triple his fan now that while he is in France or, you know, and elsewhere with his team, he is still emailing me regularly, proactively saying, how's your training going? How'd today's workout go? Wow. He's finding time during the Tour de France to ask me how I am doing with my training. Wow. That's, I know. that's really incredible. <laughs> he also found time to scold me for one particular <laughs> workout, which I, which I actually found, uh, I mean, it was educational. Um, he, I had uh, broken training. He had told me I had an, an easy workout day, and instead, I had gone all out on a um, on a local hill climb at Mount Nebo. It's a very large, difficult uh, uh, climb, and I killed it, guys. I it uh, I did it in a much faster time than I ever have before. I set all kinds of PRs. I was super proud. I, I, and this will tell you something. I got to 13th on the all-time leaderboard for Strava for Holy this Holy cow. This is, I mean, it, it, and, and some fairly fast guys do this. So I, I was doing good. I was proud. I emailed him and said, hey, broke, you know, I didn't do what you said to do today. Instead, I went out with a group and attacked them and killed myself and did an incredible climb today. And I'm super proud. And he replied and said, careful. One of the worst mistakes you can make when training is to go too hard on easy days and too easy on hard days. And, you know, that was all he said about it. But the, And he went on to say, anyway, for the next week, here's what we're going to do, etc. But you know, I, I was expecting a, hey, don't worry about it. You you had a good climb. He doesn't care. <laughs> what he wants is, you know, it's like, I mean, in, you know, I'm reading between the lines and going, oh, well, the reason that I am setting all kinds of crazy PRs at age 51 is I'm doing, by and large, what he told me to do. <laughs> <laughs> and now, you know, I, I break training and, you know, I put that at risk. So, uh, that said, he does know about Crusher and the Tusher. He knows that I am going all out, and he's given me permission to just go out there and knock, you know, knock myself dead. So I am, I'm going for it this weekend, guys. Wow. So that's that, that's my latest in the Jonathan Vodders report. Mm. Don't go too hard on easy days. Don't go too easy on the hard days. It's good advice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it really is. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to talk about bikes getting stolen. That's coming up next on the pace line. What I can do, I can just accept the decision of the jury. But for sure, I am not agree with them because I, I think I didn't do something wrong in the in the spring. been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners and triathletes, but also vegans and other health conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. 
They've also replaced BMI with waist to hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replaced the LDL to HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for people on low carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get out of jail card. In other words, if one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com slash paceline. The Paceline, the podcast on two wheels with Patrick Hottie and Fatty Red Kite Prayers podcast. Guys, we're going to talk about an unfortunate reality for a little while, bike theft. Uh, I have a good friend, um, David Houston, who has had the worst week ever. Uh, Earlier last week, both of his mountain bikes got stolen from his house. I'm not clear on the details, but he had a nice specialized, uh, fully kitted out with top end parts, stolen a Cannondale scalpel, I believe, stolen. He has no mountain bikes. He was going to be racing the Crusher and he was going to be bringing his mountain bikes out to the Leadville where he is crewing for my family and me. And then to cap it all off, uh, he got attacked by bees last night um, and had a severe allergic reaction he is currently intubated and at a hospital uh, sedated i swear you know healing thoughts out to david Um, by the time he uh, by the time this is broadcast i'm assuming he'll be alert and awake and hopefully feeling better but man what a week um patrick i know that he uh david is not the only one who has had a recent bike theft uh what what happened over uh to you last week oh so early saturday morning you know somewhere between midnight and say 6 a.m uh someone came and stole my cargo bike uh i have um well we'll we'll get into the proper verb usage later but Hmm. uh i have a uh uh yuba spicy curry e-cargo bike that's how i've been uh, getting around kind of as my daily driver uh, with the boys ever since uh, last fall. Uh, I reviewed one, thought, my God, I, I have to have one of these, and then sold everything that I could that wasn't nailed down and uh, called in a, a few old invoices and uh, managed to buy one. And it's been fantastic. The boys are crazy about it. It's been lovely. There's not enough room in our garage to keep it, so I've kept it locked up outside uh, to the stairwell and also there's a wheel lock and the thing weighs 75 pounds. You know, mm. I figured nobody'd mess with it. And then I go down, actually I walked by the spot where it was supposed to be twice before I noticed it was missing. I was busy getting ready for a ride and I ran back upstairs to get my GPS. I'm coming down and there's this emptiness and I mm. went back upstairs and, you know, called my wife and, rather calmly began the process of the police report and the insurance claim and all that. And naturally I put the call out on social media. Hey, local peeps, my bike's missing. Posted a couple of photos of the bike. I'm, I'm, I can't begin to tell you how amazed I was. I had given up on ever seeing this thing again, no matter how many stolen bikes get, recovered in the Santa Rosa area, I just figured this thing was gone, no matter how distinct and conspicuous and obvious it is. And son of a gun, Sunday morning, the Yuba employee who sold me the bike saw it and said, oh, that's Patrick's bike. That's got to be it. And he contacted the police and 
because of the value of the bike, they were giving me the runaround about how I had to fill fill one out on paper. I couldn't do the online, even though I'd already filled out everything online. So there wasn't actually a police report submitted yet. Um, and so they're busy trying to figure out what's going on, what he's talking about. And they see the rejected report and they go, oh, okay. He gives them my phone number. They call me. Uh, it looks like we have your bike here. Uh, would you like me to release it to Mark? And he says he can drive it over to you. Um, and I'm, I'm just flabbergasted. I'm busy driving home uh, with my wife and kids from something we'd been out doing. And you know, I'm sitting in the, in the car, just dead silent, listening to this guy. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Give it to Mark. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and, uh, 20 minutes later, there he is rolling the bike up to my garage and, oh, guys, in some ways, I kind of wish it was still stolen. <laughs> oh, the front rack is gone. The headlight is gone the grips are gone the bench seat for mini shred and the stoker stem and the handlebar for him to hold on to are gone the leash that kept the child seat for the deuce tethered to the rack in case you didn't have it properly secured that was cut so that they could get the locked bike seat off of it um the rear wheel is damaged. The rear brake is damaged. The rear derailleur is damaged. The rear tire is flat. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, those are all sort of incidental things. The entire thing has been spray painted the most god-awful rattle can white known to man. Really? Yeah. No, they, I mean, this thing is trashed. And I'm, I'm now concerned, you know, how our insurance company is going to respond because I want to consider it just totaled. Um, yeah. You know, I, I want my bike back. And the boys are heartbroken over this. We were going to go somewhere yesterday and they were they hadn't understood that the bike was stolen until I took them down and showed them, well, no, the bike would be right here. Um, we can't use the bike right now. Uh, they haven't even seen it in its white spray paint rattle can glory and they were near tears because they they wanted to take the spicy curry they love the green bike as they call it it's not green anymore boys and girls mm -hmm. man <sighs> it's not just mean to steal it but what they did to it is downright disrespectful uh, well <laughs> I, I mean some of the stuff that happened it's is i mean it was counterproductive to their own experience i don't even get some of the stuff they did you know, um, so remarkable. Uh, but this would be where I do give a shout out to Yuba Bikes and Director of Operations Mark Acevedo uh, for his sharp eye and uh, leaning on a couple of other friends uh, for updates on its whereabouts so that he was able to track it down for me. I mean, this company, yeah. they sell you a bike and then they find it for you after it's been stolen. How's that for customer service? That's <laughs> pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, hey, sorry about that, Patrick. That just it straight up sucks. Thanks. I'm uh, going to go cry in my beer now. <laughs> cry in your third beer of the podcast. <laughs> so how about you, Hottie? What, what's your uh, what's your experience with bike theft? Uh, first, a couple things. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, the Kirsten Darley, uh, great friend, Todd Darley, her husband I've raced with, she had not one but four bicycles stolen recently, and one of them is the bike she's training on for the Leadville Trail 100. It's a Cannondale Scalpel, small in size. They also had a Trek Imonda, uh, Trek Imonda size 52, a giant TCR, uh, size large and a specialized rock hopper in size small stolen uh, while they were camping in Ventura County. So they are uh, without many bikes uh, right now and desperately searching for them. And she needs obviously something to ride and train on for Leadville. Um, so uh, I, I hope somebody can help Kirsten. Really great, great lady and a, a powerful rider too in her own right. My own story uh, is pretty interesting. I get asked about bike theft bike theft that is quite a bit because my bike theft story actually ended up in the news not because <laughs> i'm in the news well probably because i'm in the news but it because of the story that um surrounded it 
I parked my Tricross, Specialized S-Works Tricross, locked it up to a, um, not a lumber rack, but a, a fire log rack in front of my local grocery store. Went in, bought I don't know what, came out, and the bike was gone. Immediately called the LAPD, who took about two hours to come out and finally take a report. The LAPD has, I guess, much bigger things to do than take bike theft reports. I kind of understand that. It's a big city. They took the report, but I pretty much knew I was on my own from there forward if I ever wanted to see that black Tricross X-Works again. And so what I did for a, a number of weeks is cruised Craigslist over and over eBay a little Mm. bit, but mostly Craigslist. And I was about to give up. I was about to give up on this bike and cash it in. And I decided one more time to look at Craigslist. And what do you think I saw? There she was. My Tricross listed for sale. Now, here's the deal. You think easy, right? Just go get it back or call the police and get it back. It's about three in the afternoon when I saw the bike. This is what happens at three in the afternoon with police. They go through a shift change. So I called down to the station that had taken the report to try and rustle somebody up. But I was having a difficult time doing so. They clearly were moving people in and out. It was time for people to go home. And I needed a detective and I needed one fast because had that bag sat there much longer, someone A could have bought it, the guy could have pulled it off, who knows what. But with uh, enough urgency in my voice, I finally got one detective one investigator interested enough that he went in and talked to his lieutenant and got back to me and said, you know what we're going to do for you, Hottie? They didn't call me Hottie. He called me Mr. Houghton. We are going to eat your bike back, and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to set up a sting. It was pretty cool. So instead of having me do it, they, set, they pretended, the officers did, to be a buyer for the bike. Hmm. And they interacted via text message with the person who had it. They set up a sting. The guy showed up with a bike. Uh, When he got there, they revealed who they were, and they made their arrest. Uh, Later that evening, I got my bike back. They turned it back to me uh, at the police station. It was very cool. So it does pay to to cruise and to look for your bike. You never know. Most of them, yeah, they end up parted out, spread out all over hell. We're in Southern California. A lot of them end up across the border. But once in a while, you get lucky. Here's the weird thing about my story, though. They arrested the guy. And, you know, originally I was told, look, we we can't get him for uh, stealing the bike because we didn't actually see him steal the bike. We only saw mm-hmm. him with the bike. So we're going to charge him with possession of stolen property. So, yeah, he stole it from... It was taken from a grocery store, the security cameras. You got to be able to... Not, they could never get him with actually taking the bike, only possession of stolen property. About, hmm. I think it was about a year or maybe more after, I got a call back from LAPD who said, hey, Mr. Houghton, what can you tell us about that bike you had stolen? I said, what do you mean? I, I got it back. You guys charged the guy. It's over with. No, no. It wasn't over with right away. It turns out that the information they obtain from the suspect's cell phone had never really been litigated in court. It had not been figured out or or hashed out in the courts whether or not officers could use text messages as evidence against a suspect. Hmm. So initially they had to drop the case. Eventually that was litigated and they ruled in favor of law enforcement. So the PD came back with their case to me and said, oh, we're reopening the case. We're going to go after him again. And I think eventually they did prosecute him for possession of stolen property. So I think it does pay. And here's how my bike ended up in the news. Um, Somebody, a a reporter friend of mine, was kind of overhearing what was going on with me. And the night of the sting, he decided to go down with the police and follow along with them as they recovered the bike and get it back. So he made a little story about it. And later, when the police chief decided to go before the city council and give a report on bike thefts in Los Angeles... He mentioned to the city council and in front of the gathered press the bicycle that they'd recovered from right down the street here, my bike. So that little bike was famous in its own right for being stolen so far. Cool. <laughs> All of this, of course, gets us to what? And that is preventing your bike from getting stolen. <laughs> 
Uh, Patrick and I knew we'd be having this conversation one day on the pace line, bike thefts, because everyone has a story. Fatty, you've got one. Patrick, you have a recent one. I have a couple of them. And so when Patrick and I were, were at uh, Winter Press Camp this year, we, we again ran into the folks with Avis. And Avis is an awesome – they're all – a lot of bike companies, a lot of bike lock companies can be labeled as awesome, but these guys really do make some amazing product. But we got with uh, Greg Heck, who is the U.S. marketing manager for Amos, and we didn't want to talk to him so much about their lock lineup, and it's extensive. I have one of their locks of the Bordeaux 6500. It's a monster of a lock. Good luck ever ripping any bike off that's probably, properly attached and, and fastened and locked by it. But we wanted to talk to Greg about how bikes are stolen and what are the, ways peop- what are the things people can do to prevent them from being stolen. So here's Greg Heck with Abus Mobile Security. Have a listen to this, and he's got some really good tips about keeping the bike in your hands, away from the thieves. What are the top two or three ways you folks see uh, bikes are um, stolen in some manner? Uh, a lot of times it's because the, the, the user is not using the product properly. So they're either not locking to the, the main frame of the bicycle, um, they're locking to the front wheel, and if it's a quick release setup, it's, the wheel may be, be there when you get back, but the rest of the bike's gone, um, or locking around the seat post, um, so that's, or locking to an object that is not suited for uh, a bicycle, so like a chain link fence, or we've seen small trees that end up getting cut down and the bike lifted off of that, so it's you know, first using a proper bike rack when possible or a uh, reinforced parking meter, um, something like that, that's um, a stable object that's not going to d- be able to be moved. Mm-hmm. So people use something, they're using locks or just using misinterpreting. Them. Yes, yes, yeah, y- y- using them uh, in in a way that doesn't, uh, you know, fulfill the what, what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Any other ways that you see that are seem to be the most popular ways bikes are taken you know it's uh being smart about where and when you lock your bike up um a thief we we be we try to be honest a thief with enough time can get through any lock so it's um partially about being in a well-lit area that's got some um movement of uh people in the area so it's not you know in a dark area um parking leaving your bike overnight is not um recommended anywhere um, even in uh, you know high pedestrian areas, um, in the middle of the night, a thief can get through it pretty easy, or not easy, but with enough time can get through a, a lock. Yeah, and if I and if I may interject, uh, building owners out there, please start putting your bike racks in better areas. They seem to put these things off in corners somewhere, like we're some type of lower class mm-hmm. uh, citizen. Put them in plain sight so in addition to us locking them maybe your security guard could see our bikes as well so i think building owners could do us a little favor in there no need to comment on that (laughs) i know that's not not your area tell us about the thieves now what have been what are some of the tricks up their sleeves now what are some of the new ways you've seen them get at bikes and get them away uh there's you know every once in a while we'll see instances where they will uh i guess disable a lock um, in terms of maybe putting wax or something like that into the key cylinder and then coming back that evening to actually attack the lock because they know the customer is not going to be able to the user is not going to be able to get their bike um, undone with the lock so that's one thing that we see a little bit of Um, you know thieves are also looking for opportunities um, beyond just the bike that's locked out out on the street um, condo rooms, condo bike rooms um, that are shared. Um, if a thief can get into those in the middle of the night, which a lot of times are, it's fairly easy to do, they can wipe out 20 bikes fairly easily. So um, in that instance, um, a lot of people don't even lock their bikes up in those cases. So uh, garages, condo parking, bike parking rooms are um, an area we're seeing a lot more th- thefts because um, it's uh, easy pickings once they're in there. So, you know, locking your bike up when it's at home is just as important as when it's out on the streets. Because uh, uh, garage thefts, I mean, that's one way to get at a number of bikes quickly. Mm-hmm. We see those in the South Bay of Southern California quite a bit. Um, so a thief who 
they, they canvas, right? I mean, they, do they actually check these scenes out, or yeah, is yeah. it a, a crime of opportunity? I think it's, if they're the you know the professional thieves and a professional group of thieves, yeah, they're kind of casing places out, looking um, looking for those opportunities. Um, you know, driving around looking for maybe just open garages, or um, if they you know see a nice home and they think, oh, there might be some nice bikes in there. Um, in Chicago, where we're located, we definitely see a lot of we hear a lot of um you know condo rooms um bike rooms where a thief can get into that area and you know wipe out 20 bikes really easily even in that instance half the time they're not even the bikes aren't locked up so it's easy pickings now abus has a a massive array of locks if you need a lock abus has probably got something definitely has something to do the job for you but can you narrow it down for us? If you know somebody were just coming at you, going, "I have a bike. It's cost me a thousand bucks. I want to make sure I don't lose it." Where, where would you point them first? You know, there, the the saying's always been ten percent of the bike purchase um, should go towards a lock. Um, as bikes become more expensive and e-bikes become more popular, it's you know really thinking about going as high security as possible. Um, you know, as we say, would, if, if your bike was stolen today, would you pay $150 to get it back? In that instance, you know, it's important to maybe go with the highest, highest security lock we offer right off the bat because that money is a, is a good investment in the security of your bike down the road um, versus going with a little bit more of a, a lower security lock um, that might not have the strength that you need. You know, if you're in New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, you really want something the highest security on our scale of one to fifteen. Probably in the in the ten to fifteen range is where you want to be for a lock. Mm -hmm. um, and if I have a carbon fiber bike and I'm worried about well, the lock may bang into my carbon fiber or damage it, are there tools for that job or ways to protect a, a more delicate type frame? Yeah, we, we you know we make a lot of different locks. All of our locks are you know coated, so they're not going to be metal on carbon fiber. In that instance, um, we make the our Bordeaux folding locks, which are really nice. They come with a silicone strap, so they can be strapped to the bike um, and not going to damage the the frame or the paint. In that instance, and um, make it easy to transport a a lock. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, is technology coming to our rescue at all i mean with cars we've seen a lot of you know gps and tracking technology mm -hmm. and ways to maybe chase a sh thief once they get away with your vehicle or your bike in this case is is that in our future yeah we've you know obviously there's been a lot of kickstarters that have been out there um with some of these bluetooth enabled locks and some of the gps enabled things it's definitely something as a brand we're looking at and uh we want to you know understand all the intricacies that are required to bring something like that to market. It's beyond just the technology. It's the, the support of that technology over a long run um, that some of the, I think some of the smaller Kickstarter brands don't think of. Um, they have the technology, but not the, the plan to how to implement it to in a long range basis. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things coming down. We, we do some uh, exciting things with alarm locks on the motorcycle side that I think will translate to the, to the bicycle side in the near future. Mm -hmm. Either way, if it's an ABUS or not, get a lock, use it, yep. <laughs> and keep an eye on your bike. Exactly. Be smart about where you lock it and for how long and you know, making sure that the bike's locked up properly when you do it. Um, you know, lock your bike up, step back a couple of feet from it, look at it, go, is that locked to the rack? And is that locked to the right place on the bike? Um, I've personally done it and I'm like, oh wait, I didn't lock the bike up. So be smart about that. Um, take a couple of seconds to, to verify and then you should be good. Mm -hmm. Greg, thanks a lot for being on the pace line. All right, thank you. Again, that was Greg Heck, US Marketing and PR Manager for Abus Mobile Security. You know, Abus, they've been around a long time. They know what they're doing. They started in 1924 as a little padlock production company in a one-room factory in Germany, and now they have 3,500 employees, and they are dedicated to making sure that you keep your bike, that it stays with you. And again, it's one, you know, trying to find your bike, guys, after it's been stolen, is either takes luck or hard work or both. And of course, the best bet is to try and lock that thing up and 
and keep it out of the hands of those thieves because they love them and they'll grab them and, and take off before you know it. And then they ruin them too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as Patrick well knows. Oh, man. Well, whew, good therapy session, guys, and uh, great interview. Thanks so much, Hottie. So let's go on to the pace line picks. I'm going to go first this time, and I am going to go with Goo Energy. Specifically, they have a new flavor, Gingerade. Uh, it is if you uh, can tolerate the texture of any gel and you are looking for something a little bit different, uh, as a energy gel connoisseur, allow me to recommend Goo Energy Gingerade. A uh, little bit lemony, a lot gingery, and um, aside from the cucumber mint flavor, which is my other favorite. It is not half bad. I like that they are starting to use things that are a little bit less fruity. Um, and uh, I don't know, guys, if you, uh, that's that's my pick. Uh, as a guy who uh, trains and races with a gel all the time, I care about how they taste. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I can get 300 calories down an hour, no problem, uh, with some of the flavors that Goo's got coming out right now. So kudos to Goo. Have you tried the new toasted marshmallow yet? I have. It's a little too sweet for me. Oh, but, okay. I like you know, that one a lot, but I do like the ginger ale a lot as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Diff- you know, different strokes. I'm the chocolatey flavors and you know the fudgy flavors, the caramel flavors. Um, I, those are a little bit too. Th- I, I can't even describe. Uh, but I'm I'm just going to say just they feel much. thick mm-hmm. to me. I I like things that uh, are a little bit, I guess, lighter and brighter tasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know. I, it sounds like I'm like like I'm a, a wine connoisseur here, but uh, for, for myself, uh, I, I like the the more uh, yeah the flavors you know the gingerade, the cucumber, mint, um, you know things that uh, have a little bit of an herb flavor. I like so that's that's my pick. And uh, incidentally, it seems like an ad for goo. hey as much as i use uh i i feel like uh it is one thing that i am qualified to comment on patrick what is your pick so when i was at press camp uh week before last uh camelback introduced uh a new product that we uh are allowed to talk about thank heaven some of the stuff Mm. i saw there is still under embargo uh but one of the things they introduced is a new bike vest uh called the chase and it seems to be a little bit more aimed at road riders than some of the products they have. Um, I don't know that I would use it on a road ride, but for gravel events or shorter mountain bike rides, this thing's pretty dynamite. Hmm. So rather than being like a proper backpack with small, uh, uh, with smaller straps and then like wing pockets, uh, this is a little bit, like they say, more like a vest. There are, uh, there are two uh, zippered pockets on the front. Um, there's also one mesh pocket as well in the back. Uh, you've got a 50 ounce reservoir, um, and more pockets plus one zippered pocket as well, where you can keep stuff that you want to make sure, uh, can't possibly get lost. Um, and it's, you know, the thing is I've always wanted a camelback that was reasonably lightweight, um, didn't offer a lot of coverage, but gave me a way to carry fluid with me without resorting to uh, grinding up dust off of my bottles. And uh, this thing, uh, so far, my my two uses so far, uh, I'm really digging this. This is a, a, you know, to me, a really fun new product and something that fits my style of riding better than uh, the hip packs that they brought back out, like the Palace. So mm. my pack, my pick is the Chase Bike Fest from Camelback. Interesting. So do you wear that under your jersey or over your jersey? Over, yeah. Could you wear it under your jersey? I'm I'm just thinking of it bunching up, you know, around my jersey and, and being uncomfortable just where it, where it creates creases or folds. There's way too much of this to fit under a jersey that isn't already baggy. Okay. Uh, but the neat thing is because because it's vest-like and smaller, more compact, it rides high enough that you can get to your two side pockets without any real difficulty. The okay. middle pocket would would be a challenge, um, at least while you're moving. But 
the two side pockets, you could keep a lot of food stowed in there and still reach it with ease. I would, I mean, that's interesting to me. I'm going to have to try that. I, I'm someone who likes the idea of camelbacks, but as, um, as someone who rides single speed a lot and therefore does a lot of standing, climbing, and rowing, um, in, any traditional camelback tends to sway a little and feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable and ungainly too. Oh. So uh, and this might maybe finally that, be the one. Yeah, that might be the thing that's worth a, a shot. Let's conclude with Hottie. What's your pick? All right, guys, my baseline pick is a couple of quotes we often hear in sport and life. Yankees pitcher Lefty Gomez is most frequently credited for coming up with, I'd rather be lucky than good. The Hall of Famer, whose (laughs) nickname was El Gufo or Goofy Gomez, and was known for throwing a brushback pitch, was once asked if he'd throw at his own mother, to which he replied, damn right I would, she's a good hitter. But (laughs) it's the rather be lucky than good quote that Lefty was most often to use. The right place, right time saying is a little tougher to track down, but many have used it and added their own spin. Johnny Carson said, talent alone won't make a success. Neither will being in the right place at the right time unless you are ready. The most important question is, said Carson, are you ready? As a recent Thursday came to a close, both of these famous sayings had new meaning for me. It's Leadville training season, as Fatty knows, which means at least once a week I head for the Santa Monica's for a round of intervals. Sub-lactate stuff, usually 10 to 15 minutes per effort with short rest. Normally, I hit the very popular Sullivan Ridge climb for these intervals. From Firegate to Firegate, it's about 20 minutes and has some nice Leadville-like pitches. But on this past Thursday, I decided to change things up and headed for a climb just off the coast near Pepperdine University in Malibu. It's called Puerco Motorway. It's seven miles and much tougher than Sully. I knocked out three 15-minute efforts simply by riding up a thing. The workout meant more driving, but it was a great way to freshen up my difficult workout. When I was done, I got my car, grabbed a sandwich, headed for home. Just after leaving central Malibu, southbound on PCH, I looked up at the hills and saw what I thought was a fresh batch of marine layer rolling in. But then traffic began to back up. Wait a second here. Maybe that's not marine layer. Maybe that's smoke. I rolled down the window to get a whiff of the air. Yep, that's smoke, all right. I flicked on the all-news station, KNX 1070. That's the station I work for now, by the way. And the first words I heard out of the anchor is, and you think I have deep voices. These guys really do. We have two brush fires burning in the Santa Monica Mountains. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. One of them was less than a couple of miles where I'd just been riding. It was not proving to be too much of a problem for firefighters. But the one I was driving towards, the one I'd mistaken for fog, it was taking off. It was burning in Topanga Canyon, a popular route between the San Fernando Valley and the coast. In a matter of minutes, I was at the intersection of PCH and Topanga. I called my station, KNX 1070. The news, uh, the news producer, uh, I told him I was at the intersection of PCH and Topanga. And when I told him this, there was a bit of a pause. He almost couldn't believe it. And then he said, can you go on? Of course, I said. I quickly pulled over. Before I could get my forerunner in park, the anchor was introducing me. I rambled for well over a minute, eternity in commercial radio time, about what I was seeing. Uh, flames were leaping up a steep canyon wall. Fire helicopters were just arriving and doing drops. Fire command was setting up right at the intersection. And there I was, in the middle of it all, before any other media person was even close to getting there. Right place, right time, and lucky all in one. I kept going on the air. I don't know how many times I did this. Uh, Eventually, our airplane was overhead, too, and we were providing the all-important team coverage. My other stroke of luck was the fact that where the fire was burning is an area I know extremely well. Topanga Canyon, I've ridden hundreds of times, and the fire roads above the fire I've also been on as well. I was able to describe the typical wind patterns and potential fire breaks with skill and expertise. Lefty Gomez would have been proud. Uh, The next morning, I was back at the station receiving kudos and thanks from staff and management. But I have to admit, it was really dumb luck that put me in the right place at the right time. So, folks, ride your bike. It can create all kinds of opportunities for you. That's my baseline pick. That is a great baseline pick. And I think we're going to use that as the last word for this episode of the baseline. Folks, if you haven't subscribed, go to iTunes, go to Google Play, go to Stitcher, go wherever you have to and do so. 
For Hottie, for Patrick, I'm Fatty. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pace Line. Oh, I was totally cigoned. (laughs) 